Okay. So, for those of you who were with us over the, uh, the away day yesterday, we had Phil Knox from the Evangelical Alliance with us. And Phil was sharing with us and inspiring us about the good news of Jesus and how the good news is so good that it is not news that we want to keep to ourselves, but to share with those around us. And if you weren't there, we will be making available the talks, the two talks that he did, making them available. We did record them, I believe. And I really encourage you to listen. He's a great communicator, but such passion and heart, really inspiring time. Um, So I mentioned that we are going to be launching something today called Pray for Five. And I just want to talk a little bit about that before uh, we actually get on and do something practical this morning. But before I do that, I just want to refer back to, uh, as I said a little bit earlier, I met with the leader of the council on Wednesday uh, with Satvir Kaur. And uh, we asked her, not only did we talk about parking, but John and I wanted to give our support to the hard and difficult job that she and her team are doing to try and serve our city and to see it thrive. Whatever your politics... I do recognize that the majority of people, especially in local politics, do go into it because they want to make a difference, because they want to see things improve and thrive, and it's a difficult, difficult job that they do. And we asked her, what are the, what are the big issues that you see at the moment? What is it that keeps you awake at night? And she said this, she mentioned these things, she said finance, she said, if you've got a few million to give us, that'll be wonderful. We said, sorry. I actually said, well, we haven't, but John's part of the Church of England. They, they got a few pennies. They might be able to help you out. We said finance, obviously. But then she said, domestic abuse is a huge issue in our city. It is that in terms of levels, the levels of domestic abuse in Southampton are some of the highest in the country. And as a result of that domestic abuse, the number of children being taken into care has grown and grown and grown, and there's a huge need for foster carers. And also she talked about crime and said, crime is a real problem in particular neighborhoods in the city, and there are many people who just don't feel able to go out of their homes, particularly the elderly and more vulnerable, because they don't feel safe. Both she and I was also meeting with Councillor Keogh, who is the uh, cabinet member for transport and hence involved in the parking. And both of them commended the churches for what we do in serving the city. And both said, you, got, you just seem to be able to respond to needs so much quicker than us. They're so grateful for what we do. And we're particularly talking about the youth provision that we provide across the churches in the city. Just saying how wonderful and amazing it is. Now for the leader of our council... She needs more money to pay for the intervention in those areas of need. And she also recognizes that she needs people like us, more people like us who are willing to play their part and come and volunteer and and become foster carers and get stuck in in some of these challenging issues. And I love the fact that we as a community have amongst us foster carers. We have people who've adopted. We have policemen. We have youth leaders and teachers and teaching assistants and medics, warm space and community cafe volunteers. We have scout leaders and we have people who are employing people in their businesses. People from this church and the church across the city are all playing our part to see our city thrive. 
But I was reminded this week in a very different conversation that I had with someone that no matter how much human effort we put in, we cannot bring ultimate transformation on our own. It can make a difference. It makes some things better, and it can bring about some really, really positive changes, and it's really important. But there is a far bigger story that we are part of, that we were created for, that we need to acknowledge and participate in if we are to see genuine and lasting transformation. The conversation I had, a very different conversation with a very different lady, had this week, uh, a lady who for 17 years was an alcoholic, struggled with the devastating effect of alcoholism in her life, but for the last two years has been dry. And she took part in a 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous, and part of that program uh, requires you to call on a higher power to help, and she did that. She called on a higher power to help her, and he did help her. She's been two years dry. And now she is beginning to discover who that higher power is, that it's Jesus. And I tell you, it's been wonderful to watch that journey of discovery as I've got to know her a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Because Jesus said this. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He said, whoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life. Paul told us this, writing in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And then Jesus himself says this in Revelation 21, I am making everything new. We are part of a story that begins with the beauty of the garden, endures the despair of the fall, delights in the victory of the cross, and participates in the renewal of all things. That is the story that we are part of. But you see, if you take Jesus and the cross out of that story, you never get to the renewal of all things. Because you can't make all things new without Jesus. And our vision as a church, as a community, is to see innovation and organizational change transform our cities, to see jobs created and neighborhoods transformed and divorce rates and teenage pregnancy rates and crime rates drop, to see relationships stabilize as spiritual and economic hope fills our city. But increased financial investment alone or more volunteering hours or more foster carers on their own will never bring the transformation we long for, though they are all really important and must play their part. True transformation only comes when people step into the story that they were always meant to be a part of. The story that we enter only when we meet Jesus. We ask for his help and we submit to his lordship in our lives. Which is why it all begins with helping people discover Jesus. And the great story of creation, fall, salvation and renewal that we are all called to participate in.
I want us to watch a short video now. I got in with the wrong crowd and I started to um, pinch cars, burgle houses, uh, become known, me and my friends become known as very high profile thieves really. I used to carry big knives, uh, the, the big knives to the smaller knives down my waist and I was the kind of person where if you pulled a knife out I would use it. I ended up stabbing someone in the head, I ended up um, Stabbing someone, just missing his heart, and going through the top of his shoulder, uh, the, the top of his chest and his shoulder. Where he dropped to the floor, and so I was on the run for two attempted murders. And then I was just, when I went to prison, I had such a hatred for the system, and I couldn't handle being told what to do. Couldn't handle prison officers mucking me about. When I went out on association, I got the prison officer and I, uh, I stabbed them. And then this led to me going into maximum security prisons, being put on CSC where they feed you through a hatch in the door. There's no physical contact, so they have to have riot shields and riot gear on. Um, and that was my life for a long, long time, basically. And I, I just was going from prison to prison, prison to prison. But then I ended up going to Long Larton in Worcestershire. And when I was in there, I ended up going in an alpha course. Never heard of an alpha course, didn't know anything. And I just remember walking in because they'd sent me down. I sat down on a chair. And I thought, oh, no, it's a Christian thing. And we'd just go there every week and I would argue. And the pastor, um, I remember he come to me. He said, right, I'm going to say a few scriptures first before we pray. And one of them was, no one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then he said the verses about Jesus and explained a bit why he died on the cross for sinners and stuff. And then he said, pray. So I started praying and I said, uh, God, I said, God, if you're real, come into my life because I hate who I am. And nothing happened. But then as I was talking to the pastor, I started to feel this energy feeling in my stomach. And it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up. And I just broke out into uncontrollable um, tears. And I just sobbed, <clears throat> and I just, right there. Because that was a change in my whole life. I knew God was real, um, and no one will change that now. And then I remember <laughs> running on the wing. People clearly knew that I would become a Christian. So I actually helped them on another two Alpha courses. And then I, I, um, I got released. I've been in a prison where I... Because you would have thought that the prison where I stopped the prison officers would have been the last prison to have me. But they were the first. That's how good works. The best thing for me is going in prisons and helping the lads in prison and, and trying to tell them about God. I've got five kids and they're my life. Um, and what upsets me is because now I know um, that back then, if I had the kids, uh, they wouldn't have had a good upbringing. And now they sit on the night and have Bible studies with their dad. Um, <clears throat> have Bible studies with their dad, have a life, they're beautiful. Um, and my life 
is probably is my wife and my kids are the best gift that, apart from the grace God's given me is the best gift I've ever he'll ever give me um, didn't expect to cry like that recovered now Look at what happened to Shane when he stepped into the story of creation and fall and salvation and renewal. Not only was his life radically transformed, but the destiny of his, the destiny of his wife and his children changed forever. The future was altered, never to be the same again. Do we dare to believe that we, that you and I can play a part in helping people to enter that story? That through us, friends and family and colleagues and neighbours could discover the joy and the transforming power of Jesus. That like the lady that I met who'd struggled with alcohol for 17 years, we too could witness the power and the presence of Jesus bringing personal transformation and renewal. Do we believe that we could see people coming to faith, transformed by Jesus, joining us as we play our part in bringing life and transformation to our city? That they would join us in becoming the shapers and the influencers, gathering together, seeking God, bringing good news and innovation and God-given solutions to the challenges that our communities face. Do we dare to believe that by playing a small part in introducing our friends and family and colleagues and neighbours to Jesus, that we would see the city in which our children and grandchildren grow up in, transformed by the power of Jesus for the flourishing of all. When we play our part in helping someone else to discover Jesus, we have no idea where it could lead. Has anyone heard of Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball? No. No one's heard of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was, uh, lived in Boston, Massachusetts in America, and uh, in 1858 he was a humble Sunday school teacher in his spare time, and uh, he had a particular young man on his heart who he knew, who didn't seem interested in Jesus, um, wasn't, I think maybe came along to his classes sometimes, but um, God just placed this young man on his heart. And uh, he knew this young man worked in a shoe store, and so he just felt that he should go and talk to him, share something of Jesus with him. So he went in, and as this man is stocking shelves at the back of the store, he shares Jesus with him. And this young man, there and then, in that store, decided to follow Jesus. That man's name was Dwight Moody. You may have heard of Dwight Moody. He's a lot more famous uh, than Edward Kimball. Dwight Moody went on to become a, an incredibly successful evangelist. They believe that this was before television, before amplification spoke to uh, several million people. Through Moody, a man named Wilbur Chapman, already a Christian, but he was inspired to become an evangelist. 
As a result of his preaching, he led a famous baseball player called Billy Sunday to come to faith. Billy Sunday ended up giving up baseball and himself became an evangelist touring the United States. And through him, another young man called Mordecai Ham came to faith. In 1932, in Charlotte, North Carolina, out of the way uh, of uh, not, not, not a particularly busy town, a little kind of backwaters place, Mordecai Ham did some uh, revival meetings. And uh, at the back of those revival meetings, night after night, was a young man. He was still in school, a high school boy, uh, but he came each night and he was captivated by what Mordecai Ham had to say. And on the very last night of that series of meetings, that young man gave his life to Jesus. That young man was Billy Graham. Billy Graham, who went on to preach to an estimated two and a half billion people. He had the benefit of television by then. Helped him get and amplification. Made it a bit easier. But not only did he preach to billions of people, with millions of people coming to faith through him, He was an advisor and a close confidant of presidents and even our queen. If you've watched The Crown, there's an entire episode dedicated to Billy Graham's meeting with the queen and how that deeply impacted her and profoundly influenced the faith with which she led and served over so many years. And it all started because Edward Kimball had someone on his heart a young man who worked in a shoe store and he decided to go and share Jesus with him and ultimately led him to faith. That millions upon millions of people have come to know Jesus because one man was faithful and decided that what he had inside him he couldn't keep to himself. We don't know where it leads. But where do we begin? Well, we begin by praying and inviting. We want to look very quickly at the parable of the sower. Matthew chapter 13, we spoke on it uh, earlier on in the year. It says this. A farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil and with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns and grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60 and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. The parable teaches about the receptivity to Jesus in different people's lives. So we've got those who reject him outright. We've got those who receive him but then quickly fall away. We've got those who receive Jesus but then get caught up in the distractions and the worries and the cares of the world and the pursuit of wealth and success. And that we've got those who are the good soil, who receive Jesus and grow into mature followers of Jesus. By praying for people, for our friends and our colleagues and our neighbours. What we do is we prepare the soil of their lives to be receptive for Jesus. We break up the hard soil. We clear out some of the leaves. We deepen the soil where it's only got rock a little bit under the surface. So that when the seed is sown, it's more likely to germinate. There's no guarantee that when we pray for someone, they are going to come to faith. But in prayer, we prepare the soil so that when the seed is sown, it's more receptive. 
But praying for people, praying for those we care for and love and those around us, also softens our heart. It does something to us. It changes our own soil. It softens our heart. It increases our love for those that we pray for. And it strengthens our resolve to invite them into a conversation with Jesus or offer to pray for them or to demonstrate the good news in some other way. However, prayer alone isn't enough. We also need to make an invitation. The seed in the parable is the invitation. And it needs to be sown in order to have a chance of growing in the soil. The soil that has been prepared by prayer. The invitation can start with a coffee or the pub or dinner or inviting someone to King's Chamber Orchestra in a few weeks or to Alpha or to church. But the ultimate invitation is an invitation to follow Jesus. And in the run-up to Christmas and into the new year, we want to pray for our friends, our families, our colleagues, our neighbors, and we want to make it really easy to make an invitation We want to prepare the soil and we want to sow the seed. So, together, what are we going to do? Firstly, what we're going to do is we want to pray for five. So, I mentioned this yesterday. I hope you had a chance to uh, think about it overnight. What we want to do is each of us just choose five people. Five people that God has put on our heart that we know and we have some interaction with. I mean, you can pray for someone you don't know. That's fine. I don't know. the, The Prime Minister or... Donald Trump, he probably needs a bit of prayer, doesn't he? But I would suggest that you do it for someone that you know and that you're going to have some interaction and connection with. And uh, then either choose to pray for each of those five people every day or instead you could choose uh, on each of the days of the week, the five days of the working week, you could choose to pray for each of them, one on Monday, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday. It doesn't matter. The important thing is that we choose some people and we pray for them. Pray that God would draw them to himself. Pray that God would give them a hunger for him and an openness. Pray that there'd be an opportunity to to, to get to know them better, to, to invite them along to something. Pray for a chance to share our story with them. Ask for courage that we would be able to open up a conversation about Jesus. Pray that they would flourish and thrive and pray that they would come to know him. And as well as praying for individuals, we want to create a culture of invitation. That we would find a new confidence to invite our friends and our families and our colleagues and our neighbours into our friendship groups, into our families, to church and to Alpha. We want to do it because we love them. Not because we want to convert them. But because we genuinely want, genuinely want to see them thrive and flourish. And we know that Jesus is the best way for that to happen. It's the best option, not the second best option, as Phil spoke to us yesterday. And over the next few months, we have some excellent opportunities for that. If you want to invite them to something here. We've got King's Chamber Orchestra. We've got the Family Nativity. We've got the Christmas Carol Service, which we're intentionally making more invitation-friendly. So that it will hopefully be a great and really high quality experience that you can comfortably and confidently invite friends and neighbours to. And we're going to be running an alpha course, a large centralised alpha course here in January. And we're going to create a great invitation opportunity for that around the carol service. So let's pray boldly and invite confidently. We are part of a great story of hope and transformation and renewal. 
A story that changes the world and everything in it. We have in this room, we have untold personal stories about the profound impact that this great story has had on our lives. And we each have a part to play in seeing that great story meet with the story of our city and change it forever. So let's go forward from here with boldness and courage and in humility. Trusting that the power of prayer and the impact of invitation will not only transform individual lives, but the very fabric of our city. As we invite the story of heaven to earth, saying, Jesus, your kingdom will come, your will be done on earth, here in Southampton, as it is in heaven.